I feel like Steve actually saw my notes. He's just preached half my message. It's a problem. Um, it's so good to be with you today. And um, it's, it's, the topic that I've been given is quite a fearsome one. It's called Fight Like a Girl. I don't know why they asked me to write it. But um, yeah, in reality, I just wanted to say that it's a lot of fun being the only girl on a preacher's team. Um, we talk about things like men's roles, women's roles, gender assigned strengths, weaknesses, circumcision, weaker vessels, um, submission, and it's fun to be the only girl. Um, it's not for sissies, <laughs> except it is for like sissies, as in like the Afrikaans sissies, but anyway. Um, and for years, um, you know, the only way that I felt that I could get respect in that space was to actually try and put on my big boy pants, you know, to like try and fluff things, not be so fluffy, you know, like speak like a man and, and just get straight to the point and be more strategic and like void emotion and fluff, you know? Um, and the funny thing is that um, the guys hearing me say that were like, that was you trying to be less chicky. <laughs> they were like, oh, wow, <laughs> what would it have been like had you not? But um, the reality is I think that we, we kind of understand that, you know, we're in a time that is changing and, um, and where there have been spaces that were kind of more for men, women are finding themselves in those spaces and we're having to work this glorious thing out. So yeah, I'll get asked to write this message, um, Fight Like a Girl. And to be honest, a few years ago, it would have required a lot of effort for me to be able to actually position myself in a way that I think that this is a positive thing. Because if I'm quite honest, I was quite deeply disappointed in women and, and perceived weaknesses and um, what I saw as lack of strength. And so I've had a, a wonderful and difficult journey of getting to a space of going, actually, I think to fight like a girl can be a tremendously wonderful and powerful thing. And I really want to say that this message today is not for women and girls. It's for all of us, okay? It's definitely, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of value in it for all of us. So um, to fight like a girl has um, taken on two kind of, there's two kind of ways that this is taken. The one is to kind of like slap, you know, like... Hey, like fight like a girl, it's like slapping and not like packing a proper punch. So um, according to Ross, and I've got some of my wisdom from Ross today, uh, which I know is an extreme example of masculinity, but anyway, bear with me. Um, but it's like the worst thing you could be told at boarding school apparently was like that you fight like a girl. Um, are there any nods? Is this true? Okay, great, thanks Steve. Um, and then the other thing is that sometimes it also held these implications of being kind of catty, you know, um, if you fight like a girl, there's a catty undertone. And um, I think that sometimes we know that even our words can be more destructive than packing a proper punch. Um, if those of you, uh, anyone who wasn't here last week actually on that note, please would you listen to Gary's message on the water cooler, um, which is, you know, like where these kind of cutting conversations happen in the workspace, that the water cooler, where we're trying to avoid having conversations with the people we should be. Um, it really was a very good message. And um, I think that for many of us, there are, um, it, was, it opened us up to the fact that there are some conversations that we ought to be having. Um, so, you know, I'd love to, really, my dream is that we see a day when to say fight like a boy or fight like a girl actually doesn't hold any element of insult, that it would be such a redeemed thing that um, through the uniqueness that men bring and the uniqueness that women bring, that this would be, when you're fighting like a girl, it means flip, you're using those brilliant skills, and when you're fighting like a boy, you're using those brilliant skills, and that it would just be good. Um, so I think maybe I've lost some of you, but if you put on your big girl panties, we'll be fine. Buckle up for the ride. Okay, um, if I say fight like a boy, shout out some of the words that that brings up to you. What is it like to fight like a boy? Come on. Kick him in the face. Wow. 
I'm co-parenting with that one. Um, <laughs> come on, give me some word, more words that are fight like a boy. Aggression, punch, what else? He's also escaped to the man cave. We'll go tinker with the car. <laughs> Shoot, bomb, take them out. Okay, but typically um, they are more physical kind of words. And then for girls, what do we think of fight like a girl? I've already helped you. Shouldn't be that hard, come on. Slap or snide comments and remarks, maybe a little bit of manipulation. Sorry, our girls, I'm not being kind to us. Um, nagging, whining, that's fighting like a girl, right? But what we see quite evident, and I really do want to say up front that I will tend to use generalizations. I know that this is not always a cut and copy thing. I'm the last person to say that. But generally, we see that to fight like a boy is more physical, and to fight like a girl is more verbal. Okay, um, I remember when I was pregnant with our first child, we went, um, we went for our scan, the scan where they can actually at that point tell you what it is, but we did not want to know what it is. And yet within seconds, the doctor said, oh, it's definitely a girl. And I was like, quite bummed. I was like, we didn't want to know. But then I realized that he hadn't actually scanned down near the nether regions. So I was like, how do you know it's a girl? You haven't gone there. And he said, well, the mouth hasn't stopped moving since. <laughs> and um, even though it was a joke and we all laughed, his prediction actually was true. Now, um, I don't think we can claim that it's definitely a facet of design. Um, but I think certainly that we do find ourselves in a place where men and women do do things partly by design and partly because society has pushed it. I mean, you know, it's just even if you just look at the way boys are told to play with these toys and girls are told to play with these toys, the society has certainly got a role to play in, in how uh, we all kind of work and do our things in the world. And um, the reality is also that God's intention and design in making man and woman was that it would be good and better together. And I know sometimes it's a wild stretch of the imagination to go, we're better together because things can be hard, but that really was the intention. So God made Adam and then he went, it is not good for him to be alone. He actually said it's not good. And so Eve coming along was a good thing. And yet we find ourselves in a place in the world today where it's not always good and it's not always easy and it can be tremendously difficult. So, um, he said in his image, he made them male and female, and together they were good. But then it went pear, or maybe I should say apple-shaped from there. And so we find that we have these terrible power struggles and conflicts amongst all of humanity, not only in married relationships, but in friendships, in parent-child relationships, in colleagues, um, in leadership relationships. It is a struggle. It's deeply painful. Um, but God wanted it to be better together and not worse. And so I think if today we can recognize that being told to fight like a man is not necessarily seen as a bad thing. When, we, when they say fight like a man, it's like, yeah, fight like a man. It's not an insult. Today would be a space where we get to redeem the fight like a girl. And um, we don't simply want to do this um, just to be clever, but we really are going to dig into the word and see what that looks like um, in terms of being more verbal. So um, again, I just want to say that this is a message for all of us. Okay, there is this incredible thing. Um, you know, we, we're living in a world which is very fast changing. It is moment by moment changing. The information that we're getting now is, is rapidly changing. In fact, kids studying first year varsity, by the time they get to fourth year, a lot of what they learned in first year is completely almost redundant. It's just a very fast moving world. And I think what, what we have to recognize is that we, if we want to be people who learn, very often there's things that we have to unlearn. 
And in order to unlearn, we have to be open-minded and open ourselves up to different perspectives. Now, um, there's a graph that's going to come up on the, on the screen behind me. And um, what we tend to do as humans is surround ourselves with people who, who think the same. Um, if you like, think of a board of, of, of people who are trying to take a company forward, they, they, it's much easier to just seat yourself with people who have the same perspectives. And yet what this graph shows us, and this is really um, being researched and it is true, is that um, when there is a decision to be made, it is made the, the right decision is made 58% of the time when it's an all-male team. Um, when there's gender diversity, it's, it shoots up to 73%. When there's age and gender diversity, 80%. And when there's age, gender, and geographic diversity, it shoots up to 87%. So that's the first thing, is just to say that um, even though this is not a leadership talk, it's just the recognition that we are living in a world where if we can just be open-minded enough to recognize that different perspectives actually help us all to be better together, that's a great starting point. Um, so about 30 years ago, there was this woman called Sally Helgeson who did studies on, um, on the, the, the skills that women bring into the workplace. And remember, 30 years ago, this was a very, the work world was a div very different place for women. But what they said is that women typically, and with very little effort, so now I'm not saying that men don't do these things, but women do these things with very little effort. They place higher value on relationships. They have a bias for direct communication rather than following the chain of command. They put themselves at the center of the people that they lead. They're comfortable with diversity. And they're actually very good at integrating their personal and their work lives together rather than compartmentalizing them. So if any of you have seen that series, um, Laugh Your Better, Better Marriage, you know that they talk about the women having this hot mess of copper coils in their brains where everything's connected and like at, at, at work everything's happening and at home everything's happening and men have very nice neat boxes and they take out this box to deal with that issue and they put it back. So anyway, the, it turns out that actually having the everything everywhere is, is seen to be not necessarily a bad thing in the work world. Anyway, these findings were discovered 30 years ago and were not actually considered top leadership traits but today, those things that were discovered about how women naturally do things in the work world are actually things that are applauded and, and considered to be great leadership skills. Um, Brené Brown is a brilliant mind in the space of emotional intelligence and vulnerability and authenticity, and she says this, that communicating by being real and emotionally honest is the birthplace of innovation, creativity, and change. So like I said, today is not about leadership, but I just wanted to start by saying, Things have changed, and this, this even helps us to start at that place of going to fight like a girl whilst it had value and truth, you know, 20, 30 years ago. We live in a different world, and to fight like a girl is something that can be redeemed and restored. We want to look at today the fact that there could be a way to engage with our loved ones that leads to greater understanding and connection, and that it could be that God really and truly has ways to show us that we are better together and can learn from one another. And that when we look at conflict, we would go, right, it's great to fight like a boy here, and it's great to fight like a girl there. So to start off with, I'm going to dive into a piece of uh, scripture from Isaiah, which is completely and utterly unrelated to this relational space in the sense that we would think about it. I think most of us, when we're thinking about relationships, there's people that have already come to mind. Maybe some of you um, got to church kind of with clenched teeth, because you had a little squabble on the way here. Um, and whilst I'm being lighthearted for some, the relationship space is a really, really tough space. But I wanted to start with this scripture from Isaiah. Um, 
2 verse 4. And it's a beautiful piece of scripture. And whilst it doesn't at all relate directly to, like I said, these interpersonal relationships, it just is a, a prophetic word. It's a, it's a something of, of God saying, there's going to be a different way. In my kingdom, we will deal with conflict and we will handle these difficult things completely differently to how we've seen it done for centuries. So the Lord will mediate between the nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their saws into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will no longer fight against nation nor train for war anymore. And what I love about the scripture is that, you know, it talks about how going into conflict and fighting has been and is considered mostly such a physical thing and it's of weapons and, um, and war and training for war. And here he's saying, no, weapons will be turned into things that offer growth and for nutrition, and for goodness. We won't need weapons. We're going to be fighting with a whole new set of tools and, and uh, weapons. We'll get back to that later. But there's three main things I just wanted to chat about today. And these are things that actually I've been journeying with um, for a while in my own life, and I really pray that they will be of value to all of us today. Um, we're going to start off by looking at a little snippet from something in the Old Testament, and then we're going to look at Jesus, our absolute best example in the relational space. And then we're going to just end with something from Paul, which is actually going to be a call for us to do something together this week. So... The first point I'd like to say is that we have different types of strength. And so where we might have only seen strength as like the, the meaty, um, give them a what for kind of strength, there are different types. And we start in the story of Exodus. Now Joseph and his brothers and their whole generation have died. And there's a new king, Pharaoh, who doesn't know anything about them. But all he observes is that these Israelites are multiplying and growing in strength. And he feels quite threatened by them. And so he decides to bring them into crushing slavery. And he basically thinks that if they are so crushed by slavery and oppression that they will kind of peter out as a nation. And he won't need to worry about them being overthrown or becoming more powerful or anything like that. So, it says, then Pharaoh, I'm reading from Egypt, um, Exit Egyptians 2, there's no such book, Exodus 2, 15. Then Pharaoh, who's there laughing? <laughs> that was cute, sorry. Um, then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives. So he calls along the midwives and he says to Shepra and Pua, when you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill him. And if it is a girl, let her live. But the midwives feared God, and so they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live too. But because the midwives, uh, sorry. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said, why have you done this? Why have you allowed these boys to live? The Hebrew women, they said, are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous, and they have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. Um, so they just basically bald-faced lie. Um, they knew that it was not okay to kill these babies, and, um, and so they didn't. And they kind of used their gift of their gab, their vocal uh, ability to get out of being punished and killed. What we see here is that their, their fear of love and of God was stronger than their fear of man. And they were prepared to lie for the greater good, to save lives rather than to, to um, bow down to the law. And so it says... That, even though they had lied and even though they had disobeyed war, uh, all these uh, laws, it says God says, that, uh, so God was good to the midwives and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because, of the, mid and because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. 
Then Pharaoh gave the order to all his people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but please may you let the girls live. Now why on earth did he say the girls could live? I would suggest that it's because he didn't see them as a threat. Because um, he was looking at who has strength, and he was looking at who has physical strength. And so he underestimated the strength of the girls, of the women. He thought it was okay to let them live, and um, that they were really weaker vessels, weaker beings, but still useful, mind you. And he hadn't considered the quiet and the courageous and even, dare I say, a little bit sneaky way that they could go about actually fighting this fight. So they were underestimated. But you know, the truth is that Scripture does actually tell us in 1 Peter 3 verse 7, and girls hate this verse, but I'm going to go there anyway. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker party partner and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And so there we hear that women are actually weaker. But what kind of weakness is this? I think we can just, again, if we don't recognize that there are different types of strength, we just go, women are weaker. But this is certainly, in my opinion, talking to a physical weakness. Women are physically weaker and therefore less of a threat if you're trying to make sure that a people group doesn't take you out. So strength comes in different forms, but I'd like to take this a step further and point out that from the story, we can see that seeing a different perspective is absolutely essential. The reality is, and this is a difficult thing to speak about, but women typically understand powerlessness in a different way to men. We, um, we go for a walk in the evening, and we will typically have, be told to have pepper spray or to put our keys between all our knuckles. Am I right? Like, we're kind of always ready to be on the attack. Um, I'm not saying that men aren't. I'm speaking as a woman here. And I also know that, gents, um, when, when you have a baby girl, everyone's like, get a gun. But they don't say the same when you have a boy. Am I right? It's, I think it's quite a, um, a commonly accepted thing that as women being weaker, we understand a level of powerlessness that is unique to us, okay? And I find that what happens when we understand a level of, of powerlessness is that we, um, we can become more defensive where we see people who have no power or where there are people who are oppressed or where there is weakness and disenfranchised people because we understand that kind of uh, having to uh, uh, button ourselves up in order to carry ourselves in the world, we understand a different perspective. Does that make sense? There is this beautiful quote um, by a woman called Toni Morrison, an author who actually passed away last week, and it says this, the function of freedom is to free somebody else. And so whilst a lot of us ladies, certainly in this room, don't live in that place of feeling oppressed and powerless, we, we live in a great amount of freedom, but we have to use that freedom to free others. And the reality is that if you just look at our world and our stats and how many uh, weak and vulnerable and orphans and widows, they are weak, and we need to use our freedom to free those. And there is a perspective that women have that is unique, that can strengthen us in a room. When a man's coming in and saying, it needs to go this way, yes, it does. But would you hear our perspective and also recognize it this way? And that way, a better decision gets made because we're bringing so many more experiences of the world to the table. And so whilst it is a weakness that we may, by and large, be physically weaker, it can be a strength. And so that's what I mean by this point, that we need to be able to see that strength, there are different types of strength, 
and different types of weakness, and both can be used for good. The second thing is that vulnerability is good. When it comes to fighting like a girl, vulnerability is a good thing that we do. Typically, girls find it a lot easier to talk about our emotions, don't we? A nod? Men, would you agree? I'd love to see a nod from the men. Okay, um, so um, I've got this research from Ross. All right, men, so if I'm wrong here, you can take this up with him because I don't want to stand here as a girl and try and tell you what uh, you guys um, are, are all about. But what he says is that in, in, in a general way, again, in the regime of of the world that guys were taught don't fight like a girl or boys don't cry, men have been raised to have three emotions where girls have 10 million. And these three emotions, according to Ross, are fine, angry, or happy. Okay, so coming home from work, how are you doing, lovey? It's either gonna be fine, happy, or angry. And these are not tremendously connection building, you know, with a girl, how was your day? How are you doing, honey? There's like, boo, boo, boo. remember the scan? The mouth just goes, we don't need much. Uh, encouragement to talk about how we're feeling in the inner world and everything that wants to come out of us. And so uh, typically, again, typically and not always, but a generalization is that men are coming in with a, a, not as much of a desire to connect and to say, hey, this is going on in my inner world. It's just like, no, it was fine, fine. And we're like chomping at the bit to download all three hours of everything that we've gone through in the day. Now, Jesus modeled vulnerability, okay? What, what I mean by vulnerability is that brave and courageous space of allowing yourself to be opened up, to, to know what's going on inside, and to allow the other person to open up in a way that could potentially hurt you, okay? It's, it's to go, understanding is the greatest thing that we can have in this fight. It's um, not me being right. It's actually going, I'm going to be vulnerable enough to hear what's going on in your world, and I'm going to be vulnerable enough to communicate to you what's going on in mine. So we take this passage from John 21, and Jesus is resurrected. Um, he's, he's come back to life, but it's before he ascends back to heaven. And uh, he is with his disciples. He's actually making breakfast on the beach. And, you know, Peter was the passionate, fiery one, and he, um, he had disowned, he had kind of betrayed Jesus three times when he'd been asked if he knew Jesus, he had, he had denied it. And so it says just before this passage that we're getting to that, Jesus, uh, Peter saw that, recognized that it was Jesus on the shore. And in total Peter passion, he dived in and he went um, swimming over to, to see Jesus. And now we find them all sitting on the beach. And this little passage, it says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, this is a very vulnerable question to ask. And he uses the word, do you love me? He uses this word, agape love. It is like that complete, full, com wholehearted, nothing held back kind of love. He says, do you love me? And as he's asking that question, he's saying, this is how I love you. Is this how you love me? Now, it's a vulnerable thing to do because... Peter's not got a good track record. He's already denied Jesus three times, but he's, Jesus is willing to ask this and in front of an audience. Now, given what Peter had done, Jesus could have done something completely different. He could have become the critic. He could have become the judge. And this is what we so typically do. Um, when we've been let down, disappointed, or hurt, rather than push in and understand and be vulnerable, we build a case. We, we go to people and we, we gather evidence and we, we try and strengthen ourselves with them believing our argument and believing how poorly we've been done by. 
But Jesus was completely and utterly different. He goes straight to the source. So this is what he didn't do. He didn't say, Simon, I warned you, but you did it anyway. Because he'd actually warned Simon that Simon would do it. He said, before the cock crows three times, you will have denied me. But he doesn't wave that in front of, of, of Peter, Simon Peter's face, like we can so often do to one another. He didn't go and say, you're a disappointment. And you failed me again. He didn't judge in that moment. He didn't stop and say to John, go to John and say, John, do you know what Peter did? He didn't go to the others like they do at the water cooler and build a case. And he didn't ghost Peter. Do you know what ghosting is? It's when you're messaging people and they just never reply. He dove right, he dived right in and said, we're going to have this conversation. And his heart was for understanding and redemption and he was vulnerable and vulnerability is a courageous space to be. Most of us don't have the courage to make ourselves that vulnerable. And so we have to go and have a story, we have to build a case, and we can become the critical, the judge. But if there was anyone who could have been the critical, the judge, it was Jesus, and yet he didn't choose that. And we should take our cues from him. So Simon answers, and he says, yes, I do love you. But he used a different form of the word love. He used the word friendship. I love you like a friend. He didn't use that same all-consuming description of love that Jesus had. So anyway, he was essentially saying, I love you, but I know that I've already failed this so many times and I can't love you the way that you're describing it, or at least I'm scared that I will fail you if I say that I'm going to love you. This was fresh off the back of him having let Jesus down so much that I think we can't criticize his response. He was just so real about who he was and where he was at and the fact that he couldn't back himself not to disappoint again. And so Jesus asked him three times, and I think that's just an indication of the fact that three times Peter had failed him, and Jesus gives him three opportunities to be restored and publicly redeemed, and to say, he says, Peter, I see where you're at. I have this all-consuming love for you, and you have the love that you feel you're able to give me now, but that doesn't matter, because still, I'm going to give you opportunities to show your love for me in the way that you love others. And he says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, serve them. And he goes so far as to say, Peter, you will live such an incredible life that is such an expression of my love that you will actually be martyred. And so imagine how Peter's feeling in that moment when he's being real and vulnerable and saying, I can't offer you the same love that you give me. I, I can't say that. I'm scared of failing you. That's so vulnerable. And Jesus meets his vulnerability by saying, I love you like this and you're still gonna do this for me and you're going to be redeemed and restored and you're gonna live a life that is maximum glory for me. So Jesus didn't judge. He opened up a really hard conversation. He didn't become a critic. He didn't build a case. I think that to fight like a girl, we have to put down the weapons, put down our arguments, put down our judgments, and open up that space of emotion to allow, to find understanding, to find each other, and to truly connect. Now, the third and final point is this. What is our true fighting strength? What is the, the true strength that will give us the greatest ability to fight well, to fight well like a boy, to fight well like a girl? What is the thing that is going to do that for us? And for this, I'd like to go to a passage from Corinthians. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. 
That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, these are Paul's words regarding a thorn in his side, okay? He has this thorn in his side, which is quite a mysterious thing, and three times he's just pleaded with God to take it out. And God says, no, but my grace is sufficient, and in your weakness, I can be strong. And I would just say today that sometimes relationships can be like that thorn in our side. We're just begging God, we're pleading with him, saying, please, Would you help? Could you make this go away? Could you fix it? Could you take this pain out of my life? And he's saying, no, there are some pains which can't go away. There are some relationships which you will have to work out how to do for the rest of your life, even if the dynamic of that relationship changes. There are some relationships that we don't need to partner with for the rest of our life, but there are some that we will have to, and they're painful, and they're like a thorn in our side. But... God wants to offer us his strength in that space, to recognize that when we are weak, he can be strong. When we put down our normal weapons and our normal tools, whether they're avoidance or deflection or anger or aggression or weapons or whatever they are, that when we are able to really accept the strength that he offers us, that that's where we get to fight from his power, from his spirit, and in a way that offers true victory. So, the best way that I can think of to actually have a faith step and step into a form of weakness is for us to fast together. And so tomorrow, we're asking everyone in this room to take a step of faith and fast with us. And because we're in a relationship series, we're going to fast for relationships. We're going to fast with people in mind who we know are struggling. If we have our own relational things that are a struggle, I know I'm gonna be fasting for some marriages that I know are in pain. I'm gonna be fasting for two crucial conversations that I have to have this week, thanks to Gary's message last week. I've I've gotta go into two conversations this week that are frightening and scary and I'd rather avoid, but I know that I need to because there has to be a relationship moving forward with these people. But we're gonna fast together as a community tomorrow in whatever way you do that, so that when we get to that place of weakness, when we're feeling hungry, when we're feeling like we want to draw on physical strength and all of our normal weapons and all of our normal tools for strength, that we will actually go, God, it is your strength that I'm drawing on now. It is your wisdom that I'm drawing on now, that we would position our hearts to hear from him. We don't fast to go, God, I'm fasting, so now you're going to do this. We fast to go, I'm prepared to change in this moment. I'm prepared to hear you. I'm prepared to allow your strength to meet me in my space of weakness. I'm prepared to hear a language of heaven. I'm prepared to hear of putting down these weapons and using weapons that are for growth and for nourishment and for forward motion in a way that is kingdom and not of man. So I'm asking you all to allow yourselves to step into that place where that scripture from Paul comes alive, where it's my, his grace is sufficient in our weakness. You do feel weak when you fast. It might be that you can only cut out coffee. It might be that you want to cut out food. I don't really mind what your fast looks like. But cut out something so that you can understand that place of weakness and experience his strength, experience his wisdom in that place. And then we're going to meet together at six in the evening, if you can get here, and we'll 
break fast together, we'll have communion and pray, and we trust God for words of encouragement, for words of strengthening for one another, for us as a community to go, because of this day, because of us grabbing hold of different tools, tools from another kingdom, that we will have different relationships. If you're sitting here and going, there are no relational issues in my life, I'm convinced that you know of people who are in pain. Fast for them. Fast for them in proxy. Just do it. And trust God to move in these spaces. Every single one of us on relationships, and I'm convinced that all of us have some pain in some relationship. And this is a thorn that is not gonna go away. But we can take a step of action and trust his strength to be our weakness, to meet us in our weakness. When we are fasting, we pray more, and that's using our words. And that's where we started today. We said that girls typically use their words more in a fight. And so if I were to say, let's restore this notion of fighting like a girl today, it would be that we fight with our words. We fight with our prayer life. We fight for wanting understanding. We, we all learn how to be more vulnerable and, and not just to use our usual mechanisms for fighting battles, that we would step into this brave new world of vulnerability, of understanding, and of trusting God, and using prayer as our first and foremost tool. I just want to end with a story that I have shared before, but I think it's the most fitting story for today. Um, years ago, I had a terrible fallout with a parent of a child that I was teaching. This dad had, there'd been a misunderstanding, and he phoned me mad as a snake. And I immediately went into defense mode and um, I said, I can't deal with this now. I've got a class full of children, but please would you come and see me at the end of the day and let's discuss this. And all through the day, I became a critic of him. I built a case, I chatted to the principal and I had my gloves on and I was ready to come at this dad with full vengeance because I was so angry at the things, the accusations and the things that he simply hadn't understood and the, the conclusion he had drawn about me through, through, with not even having actually sat down and chatted. And um, yeah, I was, I was just ready to, to go into a complete fight with this guy and probably say some things that were going to be very difficult to recover from. But about a minute before we walked in, I saw him parking and I was like ready to go. I just had this tap on the noggin from heaven, just saying pray. And in that moment, I used my words before my king and I just said, please help me. I don't want my words in this moment. I really need your words. And so this man came in raging, eyes blazing, nostrils flaring, and these words came out. I didn't know what, that, what I was gonna say, but I just looked at him and I said, I'm so sorry. And immediately, tears just came to his eyes and his whole demeanor changed and he said, I'm so sorry too. And we sat down and we fought for understanding and we realized that we shared a goal. So often we forget that we actually share a goal in relationship. We shared a goal of his kid being well-educated in our class. And we fought for understanding. We got vulnerable about where the pain had come from that got us to this place of anger so fast. And we worked out a way forward. And that was just from a whisper from heaven. And I think so often we don't allow those moments. And so I pray that tomorrow would be a place where we recenter and realign ourselves and we go, we think we know what we're gonna do. We think we've made decisions. We think we know the best. We've used all of our usual weapons. But God, we're prepared to change those weapons and have them turned into plowshares and turned into tools that allow for nourishment and growth. 
So will you please join with us tomorrow as we fast and then come together at six o'clock and let's be a community who decides that we will fight differently, that we will fight brilliantly like boys, fight brilliantly like girls, and we will allow his strength to meet us in our place of weakness. Let us pray. God, we just, we just know that this uh, relational world is, can be so painful and so messy. And that was not how you ever wanted it. You wanted us to be better together. And you designed us to come together to the picture and to add value, to add strength to one another. And so God, we, we have this opportunity to bring kingdom into relationships, to bring the way you wanted it to be into our worlds. And we do that by acknowledging our weakness, not by raising ourselves up with strength, with the strength of the world, but God, with your strength, with your spirit, with your truth. Father, as a community, we just come before you today and we say, would you please teach us to fight the way you want us to fight? That we would deal with conflict with a kingdom lens and not an earthly lens. God, in faith, we want to stand here and say that this community would be free in relationships. That you would take us to a new place, God. We know that nothing is impossible for you. Help us to put down the weapons that have not served us and to pick up the beautiful things that you have for us. Father, please, would you work in relationships in our space. Work in relationships beyond these walls. God, put in our hearts tomorrow people that you want us to pray for. People whose story we might not even know, but God, that you would have us war on their behalf for them to find freedom and health in relationships. God, thank you that nothing is impossible. Thank you that your grace is sufficient and that your strength comes through in our weakness. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Sorry guys, just um, a quick one. First of all, to Nats for being so vulnerable and incredible and sharing a tough message, I think. Um, it's, it's just beautiful to see something shared so vulnerably and courage about topics that are tough for us to hear. I know some of us would have potentially been squirming and the generalizations and the realities of who we are and what our wife is like or what our husband is like, but it's just so beautiful to be vulnerable in that space and I think Nats just modeled that so well. And the second thing is just that the reality that God doesn't let us stay where we're at. And I think that's really tough, but really beautiful. And that he doesn't let us stay in that space where there's darkness, where there's hurt, where there's thorns. He wants to bring us up into the light. But the other reality is that everything worthwhile and everything fruitful in life is worth fighting for. But it's hard. So I encourage you tomorrow as you guys just stay in that space of vulnerability, of embracing courageousness, of embracing submission. What is beautiful, masculine submission and vulnerability? What does that look like? What does it look like for beautiful, feminine, vulnerability, courageousness, submission? What is that? As you guys embrace that tomorrow, just let him work in you. And we trust and we know that those beautiful things, if you step into them. I think Shell had a dream last night about um, breakthrough coming 
when we are able to step into this calling. God is calling us into that space where breakthrough, but we have to step. So take that step, and we trust that God's going to do incredible things.